Wowzers, welcome to another episode of On the Way Home. I'm your host, Michael Braithwaite, and I hail from the great group at Blue Door, Blue Door's organization that has been working hard for the past 41 years across York, Peel, and Durham region to prevent and end homelessness through a variety of different housing programs, as well as a social a construction social enterprise called Construct. We do this in partnership with the great folks at the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness, C-A-E-H, and they are doing great work. Listen, check out their website at caeh.ca. There's a huge conference, the biggest one of its kind, coming up this fall. You want to be a part of that. They have a great list of speakers that has just been released. So check that out, sign up, and they do much, much more. So check them out at caeh.ca. If you want to check out my organization and what we're doing, go to bluedoor.ca. I am so pumped about today's guest. Today we have uh, Gabriel, we have Gabriel Aladuf. Uh, with us and Gabriel started and came to Canada as a migrant farm worker and he saw the horrible conditions that he had to work in day in day out and we talk about those conditions you know when we talk about housing for all in Canada that can't be housing for some as you'll hear me say uh, in the podcast he talks about 62 of them living together and having to live on bunk beds and you know how in his country uh, you know bunk beds are for children bunk beds are for children here too and, and then they're all crammed in together, you know, 60 of them sharing a few stoves, a few washers and dryers. Um, and, and they're doing crazy important work. I mean, it, they're they're helping bring food to our tables across the country. And yet, because there's no union, there's no health care, uh, there's no rules around housing. They're, they're told to provide adequate housing. And let me tell you, it's far from that. He's written a book called Harvesting Freedom, which talks about his journey and he's really, you know, come on the podcast. He's such a passionate guy. He talks about uh, the lack of dignity and doing that work, and how it really wasn't a choice that he was in his home country. Um, there, there was a climate disaster. He had a force into looking for work elsewhere. Came to Canada, um, and was really shocked at at what he saw and, and the lack. Uh, how people kind of look the other way when it comes to migrant farmers and the conditions they work and live in. And we can't, we, sh- we can't, we shouldn't do that any longer. We have a great conversation around his experience, his hopes for the future, what has to change, his encouragement for our listeners to get on board and make that change happen. Uh, it was really eye-opening for me. I hope it will be the same for you. Let's go to that conversation. I did have Gabriel here with me today. Uh, we are going to be talking about uh migrant farm workers the housing issues they face the book that he wrote he's an author he's many things uh gabriel so excited to have you here welcome to the show thank you so much um thanks for this great opportunity and i'm really grateful for it and to everyone in uh, within herring rich i want to thank you for this opportunity oh no hey listen you are our esteemed guest and as our esteemed guest we ask every guest that comes on because it's a little personal to them uh, the same question to start with, and that is, what does home mean to you? What does home mean to me? Home means so many things. I grew up in the countryside in St. Lucia, and we did not have electricity at home. We had a kerosene lamp, and the, the chimney for that lamp, had uh, it, was, uh, it had on it, written on it, home, sweet home. Although my background is very poor, but it was that place where I felt like no other place. And it, in my books, home is one of the, my few natural medicines. I, can, I couldn't buy that anywhere, and I didn't feel like that in lots of places. I felt belong. 
I felt cared for. I felt love. I felt comfortable. That contributes, that is contributing greatly to my, my peace of mind. To me, home is peace of mind. What a beautiful answer. And very, you know, I don't know if we've heard that before. So thank you for that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your story. As much as you're comfortable sharing um, your your journey, if you could start us from talk a little bit about uh, your background, how you came here, uh, what your focus has been, and, and what kind of to, to date, uh, what you're doing. Thank you. Two things. I'll, I'll group it into two things. One, beautiful things happen when you least expect. That is part of my journey. The other part of my journey is difficult roads sometimes leads to beautiful destinations. And let me see if I can tell you what I mean by that. I was born and raised in the countryside in St. Lucia and rural St. Lucia, which is in the global south. And in the global south, we you know we have lots of challenges, natural disasters, high unemployment, and so on and so on. I grew up um, with very little resources at home. Poverty was part of our daily struggle. And uh, there were lots and lots of challenges. And um, in spite of that, agriculture was my passion. And my father was a beekeeper. And um, uh, to, to, to help, that helped a lot with our sustenance. And I used to go beekeeping with my father. But the, the hives, the, bee, the bees that we have, they were very productive, but at the same time, very aggressive. Uh, but the sad thing is, I started, I started going to the hives as a child. And as a child, there was never... Um, we never had enough um, safety gear for, for children. Uh, then we always had a lot of friends who wanted to go to the beehives. So the adults got priority. Uh, the children like me, I never got, um, 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 you know, I never got the, the clothing and the protection that, that was needed. So you find very early, I used to get attacked by the bees, always get attacked by the bees. And the thing is that with the stings from the bees, I used to get um, really swelled up. And in a lot of pain. Normally, it would take two days, three days for the swelling to subside and for the pain to subside. And with those beast things, man, that was so painful, so so difficult to deal with. I told myself, I want, I will do any job in life, but not beekeeping. That was my mindset. Anything but beekeeping. But something strange happened. My father had a lot of children, seventeen. But it's only two of us who had a really interest in the bees. And the strange thing is, my older brother was way older than me. He'd passed away suddenly. And suddenly in life, unexpectedly in life, I got a promotion. An unwelcome promotion. My brother passed away, so I was promoted. And the other thing that was happening at the same time, my father was of age. My father was 60 years when I was born. So when I was a teenager, he was in his 70s and so on. So as... As uh, during the time my brother passed away, my father was getting less able, less able. So I was forced up into that promotion thing. And you know what happened? I realized I could not change the beast things. I could not change the pain and the swelling from those beast things. I only realized I could change myself, my mindset. And that little thing, I told myself, the beast things. The beast things cannot kill me. They, I am bigger than it. I can die. And that little shift in my mind was such a big, a huge, um, a huge conversation I had with myself. It was a small decision, but it was such a big thing. And up to this day, I go back to that, that, that one, that day that I made that decision. And that is like a reference point in my life. But the, your mindset, a lot of things begins with the mind. The mindset is so, so important. So fast forward in, I became self-employed 
and um, one, roughly one year after I was, I became self-employed and I was doing five different things and doing five different things when my income was diversified. So diversification was so, such a big and important thing to me. And I was so confident that my income is diversified. Even though one was affected, I could still live a decent life. But just one hurricane messed up my whole livelihood. It pulled off the carpet right underneath me. I was left in a very difficult, in fact, I was brought to the lowest point in my life. At that point, I was unemployed. I was not earning in my country. We have no very little social safety net. I had a family to support. I was at the lowest point in my life. I was sinking, literally sinking, because at the same point, at that same time, I, um, the country had high unemployment and lots of challenges. The economy was contracting, very difficult to get a job. I was really sinking. And I, that, at that point in time, I got the only, I guess the only opportunity I got to earn my livelihood was to become a migrant farm worker in Canada. In other words, had I come to Canada freely, willingly, lovingly, I would be a visitor, I would be a tourist. But because of circumstances, I was forced to come to Canada. I would like to encourage um, my people, everybody in um, the listening audience, I would encourage everybody to listen and, and to watch that documentary, Life, L-I-F-E, and Death. It spells out that um, those institutions that create and maintain that wide divide between the developed and the developing countries, life and death. And I want to tell you, that hurricane that messed up my livelihood, who are the countries causing global warming and climate change? It's the developed countries. Who are the ones paying the price? It's we in the global south. So I am a, a migrant. I am a climate refugee. And that is, that is the reality of a lot of migrants coming to Canada. Now, when I came to Canada, in fact, before I came to Canada, I must say, Canada have been good to me on three different and important occasions in my life. Being away, being in my home country, I felt the love and support of Canada at very, at three very important stages of my life. Being away from Canada, being my home country, to feel the love of Canada was such a big thing and important thing. Can you imagine how much more things, how much more better things I expected now that I got the chance to come and earn my livelihood in Canada? Only to find out, only to find out that. In fact, um, we just come coming out of the of a long weekend, and during the long weekend, we celebrated Canada Day. That's a time when a lot of people celebrate. And the flag of Canada, you've seen it; um, it is raised really high, and you see it several places. In my country, red and white means love, and in my home country, I've felt the love of Canada so many times. In my home country, red alone means danger. In the flag of Canada, when I see that red leaf, it reminds me of the dangerous conditions that migrant workers face in Canada. In my home country, I was taught that the food that we eat, they are synthesized in the leaves of green plants. But when I see a red leaf, it reminds me of the red and dangerous conditions that migrant workers face. Now, the question is, I believe there's enough resources for everybody to live a comfortable life. And that is what I'm fighting for. I believe that there's enough for everybody, but not enough for, for one person or one percent of the population's greed. And that is what that has brought me to that point in my life that I believe, I believe that my poverty 
is because of the unjust policies of the politicians. P, P, P. My poverty, P, is because of the unjust policies, P, of the politician. Will I be a spectator and watch? Or will I be a fighter and fight? Because I believe that there's enough for everyone. It's, uh, you're so right. And um, so when you talk about um, the challenges of migrant farmers coming here, and Canada depends, their labor force depends on migrant farmers, yet the treatment of migrant farmers is, is uh, far from good. Can you talk a little bit, bit about some of the challenges you faced when you came here? Was it around housing? Was it around living conditions? Was it around wages, around health benefits, all of the above? Uh, maybe you could just shed some light for our listeners. Absolutely. Um, the pandemic kind of answered a lot of it, right? When I say that, um, during the pandemic, I thought that would be the end of migrant workers in Canada. Because why I said that? During the pandemic, or at the height of the pandemic, unemployment was really, really high. And we have been constantly reminded, stay at home, stay at home, stay at home. We were forced to think about our food. Is it coming? Is, is the supply reliable? Is the, you know, um, where is our food coming from? How reliable is that supply? But during the pandemic, again, what did we see? That the, the borders were closed and open only to citizens and permanent residents. Suddenly, suddenly, Canada realized, oh, our food system is, no, is in trouble because Canadians don't want to do it. Why? Because all of the D words, the dirty work, the difficult work, the dangerous work, and the deadly work. Every year, and, at, and every year, at least two workers are dying. If workers are dying every year, can you imagine how many more are getting injured? We are doing non-unionized work. Can you imagine the working conditions associated with non-unionized work? We're just coming off from a long weekend. When Canadians are free, and enjoy um, holiday, a holiday, migrant workers do not have, do not enjoy that benefit. Non-unionized work. Being a migrant farm worker, both our living and working conditions are very, very difficult and challenging. Let me talk about housing. In the bunkhouse I live, it was 62 of us. Eight of us um, lived in my room. We were living on, uh, on a bunk. Um, I had to share bunk bed. There were four bunk beds in my room. In my home country, children live and sleep in bunk beds. In Canada, the homes that I go to, children sleep in bunk beds. In other words, what I'm telling you, for my grandfather worker to be sleeping in a bunk bed is a system that is designed to treat adults like children, treat you like second class, treat you like no class. In fact, in fact, Another name for migrant worker in Canada is excluded. Another name for migrant farm worker in Canada is denied. We excluded because the laws that are designed to protect workers in Canada, we excluded from those things, those protections. In the Canadian constitution, we are denied, denied, denied. We are denied the right to vote. The politicians create those unjust policies, but we deny the right to vote because we don't have a voice. We are denied the right to participate in family life. Are we human beings in Canada? We are denied the right to be protected by ordinary labor standards. We are denied the right to access comprehensive health care. Are we human beings in Canada? Are we first class? Are we second class? Are we no class? And these are enshrined in Canadian law. Is that an accident? Or is that by design? So a lot of the 
um, if you take the land, is it the Rental Tenancy Act or the Housing Tenancy Act? I can't remember. Migrant workers are excluded from that. So there are no laws. In fact, a document I saw from the government, you know what they said? The farmers should protect, pro provide adequate housing. What does the word adequate mean? The farmers should protect adequate housing. And Canada is known to be a place of standards. Adequate housing. That is the standards for migrants. Adequate. What is adequate? The bunk houses I, I visit, there are lots of problems. Uh, lots of problems. What are the problems? The quality of the water. Some workers cannot drink, cannot use the, they are under boil water advisory, you cannot drink uh, the, the water. Some workers, I, um, even in, um, in Simcoe, for example, the, a worker told me last week, they have to buy, boil, I'm sorry, buy water to cook food, to cook their food. Not to drink. In addition to drinking, they have to buy water to cook their food. In a, um, other housing problems, appliances, um, the, the ratio, uh, it, for example, on the farm I work, there were three stoves, 16 burners for 62 guys. Do the math. The ratio of, of, of appliances to workers. There were four washers and four dryers. Um, can you, uh, oh, that is why it was not uncommon all night long to see workers walking back and forth to the washroom, um, to, to the laundry. And, and uh, this, these are some of the challenges. Bed bugs, um, infestation of roaches and rats. And there's so many challenges. Overcrowding is another challenge. And let me tell you something a Canadian pointed out to me. In the greenhouse where I work, there were lots and lots of lights. How do you call it? Fluorescent bulbs. In the greenhouse, my workplace, I had lots of fluorescent bulbs. When I go to my bunkhouse, whether it's the kitchen, the living room, or wherever, in the washroom, it was all fluorescent bulbs. What is the point here? In my home in St. Lucia, the bulbs in my home is different to the bulbs in my workplace. I do not have fluorescent bulbs at my home. The home is different. On the farm, there's no difference between your home and no difference between your workplace. Everything's the same. Are you a human being in Canada? So our, even our housing, even our housing, um, we, um, as I said, Canada is a place of standards and we had no standards when it comes to housing. The kind of houses that I visit, um, I, 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 I visit, you, uh, oh my goodness me, some of them are way, way, way below standard, way below standard. And that is not Canada. That is not a developed country. And that is why we are made invisible. And that is why I'm so grateful for this opportunity because they make us so invisible. And this opportunity give, gives me the opportunity to, to enlighten Canadians about those things that exist. Actually, the food that we eat, once migrant workers are involved, there are 20 injustices, 20. And those injustices at every level of government. And we are made invisible and that is by design. And again, I say, are you concerned whether your food is being grown by those who respect the soil, respect the environment, respect the workers? Or are you not concerned whether they exploit the soil, exploit the environment, exploit migrant workers? Are you concerned? But at the end of the day, I am fighting for a Canadian food system that is healthy, that is sustainable, and that is just. When it comes to our working conditions, we face lots and lots of challenges. But I'll just summarize it by telling you two things. The work that we do, they are the D jobs, dirty, difficult, dangerous jobs. That's one. And number two, they are non-unionized work. Non-unionized work. And these are jobs Canadians do not want to do. So the conditions are very, very difficult. That is why Canadians do not want to do it. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area.
More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Uh, I can tell you, Gabriel, I grew up in Niagara, and Niagara yes. has a lot of migrant workers working on the farms there. And my friends and I, when we were really small, we would go to the farm labor pool. And that's where they select people for the day to go and work on different. And there'd be a lot of migrant workers that would come in who are way, were really good at it. Um, and we were not. Um, but the, the, I remember the wage as a child, and when you talk about dignity, was so low. Uh, and, and the rules around how they paid you, when they paid you, all those different rules, as you've uh, very passionately said, right? There's no rules around housing. There's no rules around healthcare. There's no rules that are enforced because it's non-unionized. Uh, it's cheap, cheap. Uh, and uh, Now, that's the, the other D word I was going to say for you, dignified, which it lacks, right? It lacks dignity. Everyone, when we say every Canadian deserves a safe and affordable place to call home, that's migrant farmers included, and we need to enforce that. We, we, for some reason, it's not, you know, everyone except for it's everyone including. What do you think in your your mind when you you're doing some work now? You're an advocate for migrant farmers. Talk to me about what you love to see changed and how it can change, how it needs to change moving forward. Thank you. Um, there are lots of things that need to change, and in my country, when we have a lot of pain, we'll take Panadol. In Canada, when people have pain, they take Advil or Tylenol. The one painkiller we have, only one painkiller we ask in the government, only one. It will not solve everything, but it will solve most of them. And what is that one painkiller? Status upon arrival. And that is not something new. Canada did it. They extended that to Europeans when they arrived there. They've done that in the past. And what happened is, let me let me just give you a simple example. Without status, we have a tied work permit. We have to, we are tied to our employer. My the burden is on us. For me, for me, for example, I had to use energy drinks because I was on my toes, on my toes, running, running to 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 please the, my employer because I was tied to my employer. Every day, every minute, we had to do things to please our employer. I use energy drinks. Even my lunch hour, a lot of the times I cut my lunch hour by 20 minutes or by 30 minutes just to make sure that my production was at a level where my employer would more or less be satisfied. According to the academic, uh, uh, the academics, what they're saying, we are permanently temporary. From 1966, we've been coming here and we are temporary. 1966, 1966, we are still temporary. We are not considered human. We are still considered second class. And... And um, the only one thing we're asking for is status. Now, if I have status, I would. that means I have an open work permit. I can work anywhere. Now, if my employer knows I have an open work permit, the pressure is now on my employer to create fair working conditions, conditions that will attract me and keep me. So, um, so status is that one thing we're asking for. The one thing we're asking for is status. How can we get status? The politicians need to change those unjust laws. We are not saying the employers are bad. We are not saying the farmers are bad. We are not saying the consumers are bad. We are not saying the Canadians are bad. We are not saying the politicians are bad. What we are saying, the policies of the, polit of the politicians are unjust. And we are asking the, the people in the audience, Canadians, to push their politicians to change those unjust laws. Not to remain ignorant about the issues, not to remain um, 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 like they do not know about the issues, so to become aware of the issues. And, and 
And that is what we like to do. What the politicians keep saying, that's not an issue in my riding because we are not concerned. We want Canadians to become more aware about how their food is being produced how their food is being produced. And if you're concerned about how your food is being produced, then you'll push for a system that is more just. And a system that's more just means that workers have an open work permit. And to get an open work permit, it means you have we have status upon arrival and not a pathway. Thank you for that. And that's uh, so helpful. Now, listen, uh, I talked at the very beginning. You are an author. Let's talk about your book. Um, Harvesting Freedom. Tell me a little bit about your book. Uh, why did you write it, uh, and and what can people learn uh, in reading? And why should and we want? We have some listeners here who might want to go and grab a copy. So tell us a little bit about it. Thank you. In my home country again, no news is good news. I had nothing bad about Canadian pro the farm program in Canada, so no news was good news to me. But when I came to Canada, I realized that no news in Canada is not good news. No news in Canada is because of fear. No news in Canada is because of unjust laws and policies. Imagine I'm the first worker to publish my story in 57 years. 57 years of silence. Is no news good news? The name of the book, Harvesting Freedom. Let us look at the first part, Harvesting. After 57 years, isn't it time? To harvest freedom during the long weekend. We're just coming out of a long weekend. Canada just celebrated Canada Day. Freedom. It means freedom. And during that time, what does the politician say? From coast to coast to coast, everybody's included. What does the politician say? A Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian. What does Canada say? Canada goes to China and tells China, improve your human rights record. What does Canada say to the UN? The same rights and privileges that my citizens enjoy, I'll extend them to refugees. On the world stage, Canada portrays itself as one thing, but quietly, Canada is perpetuating difficult working and living conditions for migrant workers. So the book Harvesting Freedom, after 57 years, it's time to harvest freedom. And after 57 years, some of the work I see, Canada, Canada generally on the world stage, we portray ourselves to be a champion for diversity, a champion for inclusive, a champion for human rights, a champion for, for if you're in a difficult situation, come, come and have, come, come and have a new beginning as Canada portrays itself to be a safe haven. But being a migrant worker, when we share our stories, we're not even given a lot of opportunities to share our stories because we are not, we are not, um, uh, uh, let me put it this way. When I speak to migrant workers, when they look at the hierarchy, to, to migrant workers, that's what they see, a hierarchy. People that are treated fairly or, or with importance, not people, people and things. Generally, a migrant worker will tell you, children, women, Children, women, pets, and even the lawn and the and the trees are treated with more respect, with more respect and dignity. 
than migrant workers and if treated with more respect and dignity than um, people of color and indigenous people. To them, when you look at the hierarchy, migrant workers are way, way, way at the bottom or not, there's no space for them at, at, at the bottom of that, of that chart, of that hierarchy. Will we be a spectator and watch? Or will we be a fight and fight? So the, the book Harvest and Freedom is one tool. I'm hoping it is one tool to let Canadians know about the struggles of migrant workers. It is one tool. I hope that one tool. I, I personally I wish I could get in every home, every home in Canada. Every home, every household, every home in Canada. I'm hoping that this book will reach far and wide in Canada to let Canadians know. Let me tell you the five Ds of Canadians. Canadians are very, very good at denying it. D, deny. Oh, it's not existing in Canada. Canadians are very good at downplaying. It's not as bad. It's worse in the US. Canadians are very good at deflecting the conversation, derailing it, or even delaying the conversation. And the other, the other interesting thing is, and that's why I'm so grateful for this opportunity, Canada has a culture of silence. Nobody speaks about it. And that is what I'm hoping this book will do to, to break that silence. Because how can we address it if we don't talk about it? How can we bring it in the, into the front? How can we talk about it if, 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 we are, if, if it is invisible, if we are ignorant? So at the end of the day, I do not want Canadians to be ignorant about the issues. I do not want to remain invisible. What I would encourage Canadians to do is to take sides, take a side. And how do, I, how do you take sides? I do not want you to take a side just because of what you have. Get, get to the depth of it. Get there's the, the sufficient resources. And this book is just one of many. Get to know about the issues. And once you get to know about the issues, you must take a side. And once you get to know about the issues, I'm pretty sure, I know, I'm confident on which side you will take. So this book here, Harvesting Freedom, you can, the publisher is between the lines. And how do you get it? Easy, easy. The nearest bookstore can order it for you, or you can order it from the publisher or Amazon. That, so that's very, very easy to get. The name of the book is Harvested Freedom, and the publisher is Between the Lines. Thank you so much, Gabriel. Well, like, love your passion. You're, you're right. You know, I think we face that quite often when we talk about homelessness, that education awareness is lacking because most people, when they say the words homelessness, they think of maybe things they've just seen on TV and movies that don't truly represent it. Same thing with migrant farmers. Most people have no idea. And you're right. If you do the research, you do the work and you read your book and look at other pieces, you're going to, you know, you're going to learn. Uh, and it will be hard to look away. And if you do, shame on you. So I think, thank you so much for educating me, educating our listeners and creating that awareness. If people want to find out more about the work you're doing, contact you, they want to get your book. Uh, you just said they get your book kind of anywhere where they find books, right? Um, yes. The publisher, et cetera. But what, if, uh, what about yourself? If people want to reach out or if people want to support, how do they do that? Uh, there are lots and lots of ways of reaching out to me. I'm working with a company called TNO, the Neighborhood Organization. That is a settlement organization. Initially, the name was TNO, stand, stand um, for Thorncliffe Neighborhood Organization. But they realized that um, the, 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 the services were needed far and wide, so they changed it to the neighborhood organization. And right now, generally in the past, the government told them, there was settlement of organization, the government told them that was the instruction of the government. The resources should be get only to permanent residents and, you know, and Canadians and citizens. 
And um, now the government has provided me some funding to provide support to migrant workers and everybody who is in need, the vulnerable in, 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 in the community. So the neighborhood organization is another place where you can meet me. Um, my number, if you want, is 416-524-4162. That's an easy way to reach me. Justice for Migrant Workers is the group that the collective that I'm associated with. Justice for Migrant Workers is um facebook and so on harvestingfreedom.org is our website and that's an easy way to reach us and there are lots and lots of people who provide support um some people from qp um qp opsu um unifor they, they provide support there are lots of ways of reaching out lots so thank you sir for all you do thank you for educating us creating that awareness and for keeping the good fight um, this is going to go to a lot of people who will listen and hopefully get behind that um, and, and keep pushing forward. Like I said at the very beginning, you know, housing for all means housing for all, not housing for some. And so migrant workers included. Uh, I thank you for your time, your efforts, for your passion. You are making a difference. Um, and thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for this great opportunity. And a guy said, justice is the language of love in our society. And uh, if there's the absence of justice, that means there's an absence of love. Everybody, everybody, I'm pretty sure, or most people, they we want peace. But how can there be peace if there's no justice? How can there be justice if so many people are disadvantaged? And we are disadvantaged because of unjust laws, unjust policies. And what I'm saying to you, the, the audience, there's a lot of power in your hands. There's a lot of power in your hands. I want you to discover that power as a citizen, as a consumer, as a voter, as a whatever. There's power in your hands. Discover that power and use that power to create change. A new world is possible. A fair world is possible. Right now, I'm filling up my lungs with air. Even though I take everything I need, you're not worried because there's enough for you. And that's the beautiful thing about the world. There's enough resources for everybody. Can you change? Can you fight to make sure that everybody have enough? Enough housing, enough water, enough everything for them to live? Thank you. A good note to end on, sir. Thank you so much. Beautiful. Thank you again. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.